Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, this podcast is focused mostly on cetaceans, meaning whales and dolphins, ocean-related topics, and endangered animals. My name is Erica Worth. I'm your host here. I started this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer up in the San Juan Islands in the habitat of the southern resident killer whales. The first two years of this podcast focused specifically on that group of whales. I interviewed a variety of people from various backgrounds in regards to issues with that specific species. So if you're interested in learning about them, go back to our first two years worth of episodes. We are now here in season four and we are expanding a bit. So now we cover all kinds of topics. If you're interested in being on the podcast or you have a topic or a paper that you would like to have covered send us an email or a message on Instagram, something like that. My email is erica at breachingextinction.com. That's Erica with a C and breaching extinction. I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode and we'll just get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. This week, I am doing an episode, a full episode instead of a porpoiseode with our porpoiseode co-host, Liam, and I almost said Shelby, which is like two hosts ago, and Maddie, not Shelby, but Shelby, if you're listening, hi, we love you and we miss you. <laughs> How is everybody doing today? I need I'm more doing... coffee. Well, I got a new Squishmallow. Oh my God. It's Aww. it's a mermaid and a skull. It's perfect for Halloween. It's hmm. a, and a cat. And a cat. And a cat. A skull um, cat mermaid. I painted this picture of a nudibranch and oh, so I showed my captain and he was like, is that your cat? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't even have a cat. <laughs> he doesn't even have a cat. Yeah, no. Um, well, that's good. Does anyone have any life updates or anything they care to share? Mm, there's just like a lot of mosquitoes in Arizona and the air is very dry and I'm not really having it. That's fair. That's valid. Uh, Call to to starting up for me, but that's about it. Nice. Oh, Uh, nice. Yeah. Again, starting up again. Again, there you go. And again and again, because you just got to go multiple semesters. (laughs) Um, Nice. Well, I don't have any updates here. I mean, there was a spider in my sink this morning. um, (laughs) I saw a big spider outside my window uh yesterday um she was a big garden spider she's like this big she had a big butt and she was like weaving a web or something maddie's face right now i do if i'm being honest i do have about seven spiders that i let live in my house at all times they are daddy long legs because the uh. daddy legs will eat other bugs but they can't bite me so like i they're harmless they can hang out here it's fine 
they can uh, still crawl on you. I don't care, honestly. And I don't think they <laughs> do. No. I, I don't think they do. I don't think they, like, when I look up, they're usually, okay, well, there's one, there's two. I'm looking at it right now, both of them, that are on the ceiling. I can't get to that. I can't reach that. Even with a chair, I can't reach that because of the way that the ceiling is made. <laughs> Um, like you're not trying hard enough. This was yeah. basically the spider I saw. Ew. Oh, uh, gross. Yeah, but no, the one that I saw in my sink this morning was like, it wasn't it wasn't a friend. So I'm like, you can't be here. You don't have <laughs> Okay, get out. Um. Oh, wait, no, it was this one. Sorry. It was this like orb weaver because, you know, it's just big. Oh, those uh, are big. Yeah, gross. I don't like, big. That. I don't like it. No. <laughs> yeah, th thankfully, this was outside my window and not inside the house this was a garden spider yes yeah they're um, they have like big chunky spiders by the way when i stayed with erica two spiders tried to attack me so i don't that think <laughs> you should have when the did spiders that there was one on the ceiling about to drop onto my face oh it's not gonna drop on your face it was just hanging out on the ceiling <laughs> Watching me with its eight fucking eyes. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Enough bug updates for people. Not that, you know, because that's what people are here for is the bug updates. We love um, it. But we are here to talk about something very important today. Um, we're going to talk about science and what is science and what does credible science look like because. You know, I think a lot of us out here are trying to do our best to help the planet, to help whales. And the best way that we can arm ourselves with the tools to do that is having the correct information and the most accurate information that is supported by legitimate science. Um, and so we're here to have a discussion about what does science look like? Because it, you know, I think it's a, it's a difficult topic for a lot of people to grasp because I don't think the public school system does a very good job at teaching the masses about like what science looks like in a good critical thinking process. Um, and so we're hoping to kind of like, this is a back uh, we're hoping to kind of um, wedge that gap here. So is that the right word? What bridge. Bridge wedge. <laughs> we're wedging the gap. Bridge. We want to bridge the gap. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I was like, what is the word? We're trying to bridge the gap here um, and maybe help some of our listeners better understand what science means. So um, we have a few sources that we looked into as far as getting a good definition for science. And there's a lot of little definitions out there. Um, but uh, one that was on UC Berkeley's website was saying that it's basically the understanding of our natural world. Um, and obviously it's highly nuanced and there's more complexities than that. Cause like, we could just be like, Oh, like, you know, this, whatever understanding is our natural world, but science is basically motivated by curiosity, asking questions and trying to get true, accurate answers as true and as accurate answers as possible. Um, Maddie, did you want to elaborate more on the definition? I did think I was just going to write a note so I didn't forget, but yeah, thanks. Um, cause I, yes, the, and I also was reading that, um, article from UC Berkeley. Uh, there's a lot I could say here, but yeah, what I 
read from what is the definition of science, it's both a body of knowledge and also a process. Um, I liked how you talked about what motivates scientists, because I think in addition to what you said, it's also like the thrill of discovery or discovering or figuring out something that no one else has. Um, but what you said, I also totally agree with. It's a way of finding out what's in the universe, how do things work, um, but broadly, and I think why the definition can become so convoluted is because it's so many facets, like science and science encompasses so many things, you know, there's engineering, there's mathematics, there's statistics, there's biology, chemistry, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of different things in our world today that we're trying to understand, which I think, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. I think we'll get into a lot more of that, but that's kind of my idea and what I kind of interpreted from what I read about the definition of science. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like, I think you're right. It is like a highly convoluted answer and we're going to get into more of like the multifaceted nature of it. And like, you know, there's some general ideas for like what makes good science, obviously depending on the type of study you're doing, like a chemistry study versus a psychological behavioral study, those are going to be conducted and possibly analyzed differently. Um, and so there are, of course, different standards within the field. Um, but these standards are very important because without these standards, it's not science. And the whole point of science is truth and accuracy. So um, there's an article from the University of Berkeley, Understanding Science 101. And I'm just going to read off the bullet points that they have um, for some of the characteristics of science. Because, you know, while it is exploration, discovery, understanding, uh, more specifically, it is a few of these things. So the first bullet point says science is a way of learning about what is in the natural world, how the natural world works, and how the natural world gets this way. It is not simply a collection of facts rather than a path to understanding. The second bullet says science focuses exclusively on the natural world and does not deal with supernatural explanations. So that would be like, say, like religion or spirituality. Like there's way people study religion and spirituality, but they're not like studying like God, if that makes sense. Um, the third one says, although scientists work in many different ways, all science relies on testing ideas by figuring out what expectations are generated by an idea and making observations to find out whether those expectations hold true. The fourth bullet point says, um, accepted scientific ideas are reliable because they have been subject to rigorous testing, but as new evidence is acquired and new perspectives emerge, these ideas can be revised. That's super important. I'm just going to asterisk the last um one says that science is a community endeavor it relies on a system of checks and balances which helps to ensure that science moves in the direction of greater accuracy and understanding this system is facilitated by diversity in the scientific community which offers a broad range of perspectives on scientific ideas so Ooh, i love that last one yeah um i think so because if we're all thinking the same it doesn't work so you know, essentially kind of as we're, we're diving into science, we're seeing there are certain things like if, if something can't be disproven, it's not science. Like if you're going to say, I have absolute proof, this is absolutely 100% true. It's not science. In order for it to be science, you have to be able to disprove it. Um, Liam, is there anything that you wanted to share about your perspective on science? Because Madison and I, for those of you who don't know we both went to school and we studied science um madison has a marine science degree i have an environmental studies and psychology degree liam is in pursuit of a mechanics degree 
right? Mechanics, Liam, or you, you just like mechanics. Yes. Okay. So we all have some different perspectives and Liam's kind of got a, a even more different one than the two of us. So I'm curious if there's anything that you want to um, add about the definition of science or your understanding of it. Yeah. So uh, I think science has been, is seen by most people as just this kind of like umbrella term to kind of dif differentiate between what is real versus what is fabricated. And I know that's kind of very broad, but I think that's kind of the general, that's how our society kind of views uh, uh, science. And uh, most of the science I think that everyone is exposed to is just based around finding conclusions about how everything around us uh, functions. Uh, but of course, depending on the subject matter, uh, that the conclusions and the methodology of finding that conclusion would be wildly different. So yeah, because I'm, I'm into mechanics, specifically aviation mechanics for right now, at least, um, the methods I'll be, I would be using and what my conclusions I'm, and what conclusions I'm trying to find would be wildly different than say st someone uh, like studying medicine or, or, or marine biology or whatever. And, uh, my methodology would be kind of based around rigorous testing within the law and using lessons learned from the past to try and drum up, to try and uh, figure out conclusions about how something, if something could work or if something would not be able to work. Um, but yeah, I think, but despite these differences that I think the definite unanimous thing that all scientific conclusions and investigations must follow is that verification through peer review, meaning that, you know, someone must be able to come to the same conclusions using the same method as whoever originated it. Like not, not just a blind acceptance to, um, to kind of a scene to just seeing, I guess is, a way of putting it. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's no, hot. I think that that makes sense. And like, yeah, because that's the thing that differentiates science from just like a statement, I guess. Because like a lot of people can say, anybody can say whatever they want and it can be true to them. But like the difference between like, you know, quote unquote, a fact, a scientific fact versus like an opinion or a thought or a theory is that like, it's been tested. It, you know, it's been replicated. Um, and so that's how we know that it's true. Um, I think we can dive into a little bit of the methodologies and we're going to link a couple articles here for people to read if they want to get more into this. Um, but the Science Council had um, some good, again, bullet points for methodologies. So the first being that you need an objective or an observation. So measurement of data. Um, possibly like using mathematical tools, depending on what you're doing. So um, Basically, this is kind of like your hypothesis, like what you're thinking, like, okay, like, I want to investigate, like, you know, say, for example, we want to study the different ecotypes. They're like, okay, I want to investigate how much salmon um, or, you know, is a part of the southern resident diet versus northern resident diet or something like that. Um, that say that's your objective. Um, then the next point is evidence. So it's like, okay, what evidence do we have that these two ecotypes may eat different food. Okay. They've been observed in the field eating herring or eating salmon, etc. 
Um, and then the next bullet point is an experiment or observation with benchmarks for testing. So maybe an example of this for this hypothetical study that we're talking about is going out and doing um, photo identification of the different animals and maybe collecting fecal samples so that we're you know, confirming that it is a Northern or Southern resident. We're looking at the poop to see um, what is in the diet of the whale. Um, and then like we can, we can test and we can compare and say, okay, like, you know, at this time of the year, at this, you know, uh, time of the day, this group was eating this or whatever we were, you know, we observed them physically eating food or something like that. Um, the next one is an induction. So reasoning to establish a general rule or conclusion that you draw from the facts. So for example, say we go out there, we collect, you know, enough fecal samples for it to be scientifically valid. And we look at it and we see that the Northern residents, and I'm just making up statistics, this is a hypothetical study, eat 75% herring and Southern residents eat 80% Chinook salmon. Um, you know, that, that would be our induction. And then repetition is the next one on the bullet uh, point. So the more people that can repeat the study, like the better it is, the more valid that it is. Um, and I can think of, you know, some, well, we'll get into that later, but repetition is, is good. Um, and then critical analysis. So I want to dive a little bit more into this. Um, and what does critical analysis look like? Because essentially this is peer review. So in order for something to be scientifically valid, it needs to be peer reviewed. It needs to be backed by other scientists. So Maddie, you're really like good with the peer review. So I'm going to turn it over to you to talk a little bit more about that. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. I like what we're talking about here. I did want to tack on, like, I really liked what Liam was saying and to just add a few more um, thoughts to our definition of science is that like science is exciting. Science is ongoing. Like it's not like you figure something out and that's the end of it. It's, it's always, you can always discover more and it's like a global human endeavor. Um, I got that terminology from the Berkeley site because like, all of these different perspectives are out there trying to figure out different things and together it makes this collection of a, this body of knowledge that we call science. Um, but yeah, I liked how you were coming up with a little hypothetical study because I actually went back, uh, I was looking at my um, honors thesis that I did for my undergrad and I was looking at uh, my study where, where I studied, um, basically I, I was studying like metabolic rate and um, oxygen consumption, body movement, all these things in California market squid. Um, so I was just, I was getting nostalgic because I was looking back at my study, but on the topic of critical analysis and verifying and testing scientific studies, number one is that if you're gonna put information out there, you have to, it has to be peer reviewed or published in a scientific journal. And so if you're just like the average human and you're consuming this information, it's very important to check your sources, check where that information is coming from. And if it's coming from just like, say like a news article, or I don't know, you see a paper that only has one author on it, that can raise some flags. Um, you can also look up like the impact factor of journals. I think like a great impact factor of a journal, like a perfect score would be a 10. One of my favorite journals is Journal for Experimental Biology. That impact factor is about a four, but that's pretty high within biology. Um, and, and you can like just Google, like if you're looking at it, one of the big ones is, I don't know the impact factor of it, but like science, nature. Those are like very, very, like if you get a paper in science, like 
your career is made, you know, that's like a big goal for me. But um, so that just kind of is what I know about peer peer reviewed science. Um, that's how you're going to know it's credible is if the information you're consuming has been published in one of these journals that has an impact factor that's accepted by the community. And I'm just, I mean, I'm most knowledgeable about marine science. There's many other different journals like psychology, there's medical journals. Like we said, there's many different facets. Um, before you can publish any type of research in a peer reviewed uh, journal, you have to do statistical analysis. So I did want to touch on, I haven't been in a stats class for many years. I haven't done statistics in also many years, but I ha do have experience um, like testing or an analyzing data. Um, so I just wanted to share like kind of my knowledge and experience. For example, um, when I, in my undergrad, I did a project testing and or studying anchovy body movement. And I did this over different temperature regimes. And so the statistical analysis I used in that experiment was an analysis of variance. This is also known as an ANOVA. I did many different, like not many, but I used an analysis of variance test to determine how different the body movements were between temperatures. And that is an accepted statistical analysis. It gives you a p-value and you cannot say that your information is significant unless your p-value is less than 0.05. In different fields, I'm sure the p-value like threshold is different, but from what I know in biological science, like p-value less than 0.05 makes it significant. Um, another statistical analysis that I'm familiar with and have used is a simple linear regression model. I use this when I was trying to predict metabolic rate based on overall dynamic body acceleration in squid. And I know I'm throwing out a lot of jargon here. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to me or reach out to Breaching Extinction. But main point I'm getting at is that you have to have, like what Erica was saying in the bullet points, you have to, you know, go out, collect your data. You have to have like multiple, um, what's the word? Uh, your like your number, like your sample size, you have to have multiples. Yeah. You can't just see like one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that way you can analyze then using statistics, um, you know, yeah, you use your statistics to do a critical analysis and that's where you get your results. Um, again, with the linear regression model, in that case, you're looking for like an R square value usually you want that close as close as you can to one in my study with the squid i got like for example my r square value was 0.946 that is very good i could then say like yes we can use overall dynamic body acceleration to predict metabolic rate again if you want the more like if you want more details on my the study that i did like just let me know but um those are the statistics i'm familiar with there are many out there there's bayesian there's all sort there's t tests you know and it depends on what data you're collecting what variables you have so on and so forth um but again main point being if you're going to put information out there or you're going to be consuming information you want to check the statistics you want to see that it's peer-reviewed and if you're doing science yourself you need to show that you've done these statistical analyses and if you're going to publish data publish findings publish conclusions whatever it needs to be peer-reviewed absolutely yeah. Um, and I think you brought up a good thing too about sample size is like you need to have, and it's going to be different based on the type of study. And one of the things that makes studying biology, like specifically like wildlife biology, a little bit more difficult is 
uh, sometimes when animals are more elusive, you don't have as big of a sample study as you need to make you know, a definitive conclusion on one thing or another, but it is important to have that. Um, another thing too, to keep in mind, and, and the reason that we're having this conversation, um, I'm going to get into that a little bit right now. Maybe we'll get into a little bit more of it later, but it is because there's, a, in my personal experience working in the whale watching industry, there is a surprising and scary amount of like distrust and misunderstanding of what science is. So I'm going to give an example of like, you know, an institution that I feel like does a great job that's totally scientifically valid, gets enough of like those study samples is Moat Marine Lab in Sarasota with their dolphin research project. Um, and so what a day looks like for, for them when they're going out and collecting data is they have, um, or at least when I was like had been there, they have three boats. Um, and those boats would run transect lines and they would randomize which boats ran the different lines on which days and at different times. Um, because you don't want to have, say, for example, like you could accidentally have some sort of bias of like maybe one boat makes a certain frequency of a noise versus another boat. And if you're like always running in, you know, one specific path, you might get like, you might affect the animals in that area differently than you would somewhere else if that makes sense i don't know if i'm explaining that in a way that makes sense but basically the more that you randomize things and the more that you like diversify things the more valid your study is going to be so they would send these three boats out to run transect lines and you would like run your little transect line you would go you would collect your data you get the photo id um for this specific project it was photo id you take a picture of the fin you fill out the data sheet you'd get like the Beaufort, the latitude, longitude, like all the little things that you need. Once you got your photos, um, then you would leave. You're not gonna like, because it's a photo ID study, you're not gonna stick with the animals for prolonged periods of time. Um, and then they would con continue to complete their track and say the track line ended um, and you know we were coming back into the harbor and we see dolphins right outside of the harbor. You would then start another data sheet and you would put on there that this is, was an opportunistic collection because you're going to have to make a footnote about that somewhere in your paper that, hey, you know, maybe when we run it this way, this is what we see versus another thing. So when you're running those transect lines, it is like, you know, you're answering a question about what are we seeing in, for example, in this, in the Sarasota Bay. Um, and there's a lot of different types of people, you know, there's a lot of different ways to collect data, but I would say that that is true factual science that is peer reviewed. Um, there's a catalog that comes out every single year. They've been studying these animals since the seventies. Um, and that's a high sample size. It's peer reviewed. Like, you know, they've had people that have good training in the field, people who have been trained by biologists, people that have higher degrees. And I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. And I think today I'm just frankly going to piss some people off and like, it is what it is. Um, and I'm not, it's not my goal to upset people, but we need to be able to have conversations where we're uh, like the conversations that are difficult where we're holding people accountable. I believe that for the most part, in order to be a true scientist, you should go and get a higher degree at minimum a master's, but probably a PhD. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why would you not want to do that? There are exceptions to the rule. Alexander Morton is a great exception to the rule. She acquired her skills and her knowledge in a non-traditional way. She has honorary degrees from 
a variety of places. She has her own bachelor's degree that she earned, but her other degrees are honorary. And I think that she's the exception to the rule. And there are a handful of people like that. But for the most part, I think if you want to be a scientist, it is important to take the traditional route. I'm not trying to gatekeep. I'm not trying to be like, oh, like, you know, you should do this because you know, it's the hard thing that everybody's had to do, whatever. No, it's, it's because you need legit training to be a critical thinker, to be able to collect this data. Um, and so going back to the whole Moat Marine Lab thing and how I believe that that is a true scientific study, um, going on a boat and collecting photo ID, which is valid, citizen science is its own thing, but calling that a study and saying that you're doing research and making that an excuse to watch killer whales for six hours, not science point blank period end of sentence i'm sorry like i i get that that's gonna upset people but call it what it is if you want to go out there like obviously you are you're looking at something but it's not true science especially if nothing is published and like i'm not trying to be mean i'm not trying to like ruffle too many feathers but like it's not science and it degrades the credibility of science when we call things science when they're not. And that's the whole point of why we're having this conversation today. In my personal experience, I'm just going to ramble for a little bit. And I'm like, my goal is not to upset anybody. And I, and these conversations are difficult to have because unfortunately, for some reason, if you're a scientist, you should welcome um, questions and like, honestly, criticism, like, like you should welcome that be like, yes, because it makes you more scientifically valid because you're answering different questions maybe somebody's got a point that you didn't think of that they brought to the table and you're like, oh shit, like maybe I should have evaluated it from this perspective. Um, but unfortunately, there are a lot of people in this community, meaning the whale community, um, that like call themselves scientists who I don't believe have the credentials and I don't believe are actually producing true credible science who are out here swaying the public in one direction or another by saying that, you know, we should do X, Y, or Z or whatever. Um, when they don't have the background, they're not doing the actual science. And, and I'm not, you know, like I said, it's, I'm not trying to upset anybody, but also it's like when you try to talk about those potential criticisms of those questions, rather than having like a response that's like, hey, yeah, like let's talk about whatever criticism you have or whatever, you know, we should be skeptical of science. We should question it. Instead of people being welcoming to that skepticism, which is normal and like healthy in science, we get a very, toxic highly emotional response of like how dare you like why would you say that and it's like what like that that's a big red flag i feel like and so the reason that we're kind of having this conversation is because um unfortunately i think a lot of people in the whale watching community at least you know this was my motivation are misinformed about what science is um and i'm not here to say that i'm a scientist or whatever but i think that we just need to have conversations we need to think about it we need to hold each other accountable and the reason why this is important is because a lot of our conservation decisions are based in science. So if we're making up some like fake science or we're spreading misinformation unknowingly, and I don't blame the general public for not understanding science. It's not something that we're taught. It's not an easy thing to learn. It's not something everyone's taught. I'm sure there are some people that are taught, um, but like, it's not an easy thing to access. And so it's like, I'm trying to kind of bridge this gap here and I'm not trying to like you know, upset anybody, but at the same time, it's like, we need to be, ha we need to be able to have these conversations and hold each other accountable without having such an emotionally charged reaction to me questioning the science. So I don't know, there's my little rant about that. Maddie, I see you have some thoughts. Yeah, I'll jump in there. You said a lot of good stuff. I know we've had conversations about this, like just between us and um, I, I made some notes here. So like, first thing, most important, like, well, I don't know, there's a lot of important information we're talking about here, but 
being able to have uncomfortable conversations, I think is like, just like such a life skill to have. I, for a long time was an act like in an active addiction where I was using drugs and drinking a lot to just avoid any sort of feeling of uncomfortability. And so in my recovery over the past year or so, I've learned how important it can be to have an uncomfortable conversation in whatever context. So I like for kind of people get pissed off fine. Like, you know, I like the direction that this conversation is going in. I also did want to comment too, although I haven't experienced it myself, but I just, I'm going to throw an opinion out there. It's my opinion. But like, if you are out like whale watching and you're calling, like you're saying you're doing science and you're just like hanging out with whales, like that just is frustrating to me because it is like Erica said, in no way, shape or form actual science. And so if you're like a, uh, passenger on a whale watch boat and your captain or whoever is being like, yeah, like we're out here studying the whales. Like I gotta say, that's just bullshit. Like that's, that's, uh, and I, and I, I don't have any like examples of that that I'm going to give, but I'm just saying like, if you have experienced that or that happens, or you see that like r- raise the red flag because absolutely like scientific research is. And, and again, I also agree with Erica in what she said about having a higher degree or, or getting some higher education um, to be a credible scientist. This is another conversation for another day would be like the toxicity within academia. However, I do think on the, along the lines of the conversation we're having here today, like these institutions are in place to keep science credible. And so I do, and one of my like total, like my main goal in life is to get my PhD. And I just, I don't care. Like, there's bar- there's been barriers in my way. There's barriers to a lot of people. That's a whole other conversation. But I do think like to be a scientist, like you got to go get your master's. You got to get your PhD. Start with a bachelor's. Great place to start. Get some research experience, whatever. Um, so that's just kind of what came to the front of my mind after what you said. A um, couple other things. Oh, um, another note I had wrote was I love how you're talking about what because you did the research or you were working with the team at Moat Marine Lab. So that's really cool. Um, experience that you can share because I've never done, uh, I don't have any experience doing like field biology per se. All of my studies and research experience that I have were done experimentally in a lab, which I'm a fan of. I do love like doing experiments and kind of looking at the technical side of things, but um, field biology and like observational data, opportunistic data, like that's a whole other ball game. And I like how you described how that works because, um, I mean, I've taken like a field methods class and we learned how to randomize data, how to make sure our results are unbiased, how to run a transect line or if we're using quadrats. And that is all very important to progressing the field of biology in whatever study you may be doing. You can't just go out and collect data without like setting a, a, a structure of sorts. You know, you need to have these things, these things in place like okay we're going to run this amount of transect lines we're going to only take data from these transect lines if we see something really cool like a whale giving birth like a blue whale or whatever like sure like take that video and footnote it but like of course like that's really freaking cool and like you can't like really predict that that's going to happen but like in your study setup you have to have this structure otherwise your data is going to be biased, your results are going to be biased, it's not true science. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at with this conversation here. Um, the only other, oh yeah, the only other kind of notes I had on what you were saying were just um, like, there is such an issue in today's society with misinformation being spread with politics, with 
the whale community with whatever, what have you, like in all aspects of life, there's a lot of misinformation, like with COVID, you know, like all this stuff. And so it's really important for individuals, like myself included, anyone, if you're consuming information, you have to, like, if you're going to make an opinion off of something that you've heard, you need to freaking go fact check what you're hearing, you know, like, and, and make sure that it is credible science. And I think that's what we're trying to like kind of put that in we're, we're trying to put information out there to combat misinformation because we yeah. want to like like let whoever's listening know like th that's a big issue is with all this misinformation being spread so don't just hear something and run with it be skeptical yeah. be critical exactly like what erica was saying and then just to the thing with like i don't know we were talking earlier about like people naming whales and like just like people in your community may be getting like very defensive and having these emotional responses. I just, I can't get behind that. I am maybe on one side of the spectrum, but I just think anything scientific, I, I'm keeping it objective. I'm not naming my anchovies. They are squid one, two, three, four, you know, like, so I don't know. That's my thoughts on that. But um, yeah, I don't know if whoever wants to Yeah, no, I do, I, I do have some thoughts on that. Like, um, yeah, we did talk about a little bit of the naming, which maybe we can get into it in a second here. But yeah, I, like we're just here to, to encourage healthy skepticism because the reason that I'm so passionate about this issue is because that I see a lot of people call themselves scientists or biologists or conservationists who are doing none of those things. And it's insulting to science. I mean, it's not like, not even the insulting, but it's just like it downgrades oh. science. It, it takes, it devalues it when you call it something that it's not. I'm not against people going out and doing maybe like what I would call maybe like looser investigations, you know, like if you're on a whale watch boat and you want to collect data, collect data, but like, don't call it a scientific study because that's not what it is. Um, and, and it devalues and, and discredits science. And there's already enough people in this world that don't believe and trust in science. So then when you put some like stuff out there, that's not the most correct that it just, it muddles the water. It creates like, and okay, but here, oh God, it's just, I have so many thoughts on this in my head at once I'm trying to get them out. But like, basically it's just like, there's a lot of people, what I've noticed in the whale community is that like, there's a lot of regulars, there's a lot of passengers and people that are really dedicated to this industry and like dedicated to spending time in nature and they love it. And they look up to the naturalists and captains and owners of these companies and um, you know, I think that everybody needs to hold themselves to like a high standard of like being like, we need to conserve the ocean. This is what science is. Don't call yourself a scientist if you're not. Don't say you're doing research. And I, I had somebody who uh, was a friend of mine who was asking me questions because I basically was trying to explain like, hey, like the, the science collected on whale watch boats is not real science. Like it, it's, it's not bad. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying just it's don't call data. It. It's still data. It's still data. Don't call it. It's not a study. You're not a researcher. Um, but this individual was like, oh, like, you know, this boat was with the killer whales longer because they were doing their research. And I was like, uh, -uh. like if you're doing a photo identification study, it's better to get your photos and leave and like follow your transect line um, because you want to cause the least amount of disturbance to the animal. You want to be a fly on the wall as much as you possibly can so that you don't um, like interact with that wow. interfere with the data that you're collecting. Um, and, and that's another thing is if, if, if you see people that are like, you know, trying to interact with animals or trying to lure animals as a part of a study, that's not a study, not a study, major, huge red flag. Um, and so I think it's just something to consider because 
there's a lot of danger and I've seen it. Um, I've seen a lot in the Southern resident community of certain ideas being preached. Um, like for example, Sentinel effects, just going to say it. I didn't think I was going to say it. We're going to say it. We're just going for it. And I'm just going to preface everything that I'm saying here with it is not my goal to piss anybody off. It is not my goal to upset anybody. I just think that I should be able to ask questions and anybody should be able to ask questions without having such a, a, a hostile negative response. And like, I unknowingly, like I didn't realize that this was going to happen, but in the past when I've shared my views on the regulations around the Southern resident, resident killer whales, my opinion is not popular among whale watchers. Like I feel like I'm one of the few whale watchers that has the opinion that I do and that's fine. Um, but I didn't realize that it was going to create so much hostility and that there was going to be like online bullying as a result and that people were just going to be so, so nasty. Um, and I fear that that's going to happen in this situation with the opinions that I'm sharing now. But it's, that's the thing that's frustrating for me is that with science, I shouldn't have like if I if I have questions about a scientific like idea, like I should be able to ask that question without having such an emotionally charged re result without experience so much hatred from people for having a different opinion, for asking a question. Um, and so that's kind of, I just want to preface it by saying that. And also I do want to preface it by saying that like, I personally don't, I, I don't, don't really have an opinion on the sentinel effects. I think it could be true. I think it could also not be true. I think that the theory is like, there's potential for that, but there's also the theory that like, potentially the boats are like a magnet that attract people to the whales. Like you could argue either way, honestly. And it's just, I would like to see more evidence. This idea has been preached for like years. Um, and up until recently, there's been no scientific evidence to back it. And in my personal opinion, Please don't shoot me everyone. I'm trying to be kind, but I'm offering some healthy skepticism. The fact that the person that published it has like posted that this is their idea, uh, like, you know, and that this is what they think is happening before actually publishing a study. Like that's, you can say that that's your idea, but don't act like it's a fact before it is. Um, I'm going to get so much hate. I already know. I already know. I'm snapping. It's just hard to wrap my head around the fact that there are so many other studies that have shown the negative impact of vessels of all kinds around the Southern residents, that it's just hard for me to believe that the ones that these people want to be on so that they can be close to the whales is, is like, okay, and none of the other ones are, especially because there's so much data that has shown a negative impact. I see. Um, yes, Maddie, go. I could jump in there. Yeah. Um, I like this idea of healthy skepticism. Oh my gosh. What was I just going to say? Oh yeah. As sort of a newcomer to this like, like Orca community, whatever you want to call it. And like learning about the Southern residents being a part of this project, reaching extinction. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, this group is, is, is wild. I don't know how else to say it, but um, yeah, I, I totally lost my train of thought, but, but okay, I have one. Like, I the reason why it's important to have the skepticism and to have these conversations i'm not saying that that person like that published a study is like an invalid researcher or anything like that i'm saying that like that study i have reservations about um i think that you know there's a lot of things that we look for in order for something to be scientifically valid and and the reason that this is important is because potentially spreading this idea 
that this is something that has happened or whatever. And I'm not saying that it has or it hasn't. I would just like to see more studies. I would just like to see more studies. And I'm like, and I'm skeptical of the only study that exists. Um, but in order for it to, you know, be, we have to have valid science. Sorry, my words are, my brain is trying to make a lot of words and it's trying to come out anyway. So anyways, in order for something, for us to make decisions off of something, it has to be valid science. And if we're making conservation-based decisions, and this is why I feel so passionately because the Southern residents are precious. It is a precious resource. There are like not that many left. And like, we can't afford to make mistakes if we want to see this species persevere. And that is why I'm skeptical of that type of science. And these conversations are hard to have because rather than being able to like go and directly ask this person, hey, I have these questions about this study, like explain it to me rather than us being able to have a conversation because science is highly nuanced and complex and maybe have some sort of understanding of like, okay, maybe I misunderstood this or, oh, like maybe we should look at something differently or whatever. All I would get is a nasty response. People act so incredibly childish. Um, it's kind of funny. Like um, we were discussing, there was some, I don't really follow like a lot of this because I just feel like it's a lot of drama and I don't want to deal with it. And so I just kind of do my own thing. Kendra still runs our social media because I'm like, I'm not, I don't even check out my own social media that much. Like, I don't care. Um, but there's so much drama and like people behaving in like a really juvenile way. And it's like, I feel like in order for us to be productive and constructive and have the impact that we want to have, we got to get past this like ego stuff of I'm going to call myself a scientist. Oh my God, no, you criticize my research. Oh my God, no, I can't work with you because that you have these opinions on the Southern residents versus let's work together, let's figure out real answers or like potentially leave the science to people like Ken Balcombe and Deborah Giles who are qualified to conduct the science. Like I'm just saying, like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm qualified to carry out an entire killer whale study. I don't have the credentials. I have a bachelor's degree and I work on a whale watch boat. That's not the credentials. Like, could I get those credentials and become a killer whale biologist if I felt like it? Sure. Am I in the process of doing that? No, I'm not a scientist. Like let I'm not trying to gatekeep, but it's like, it is something because of how sensitive it is and how high the standards are and how high the stakes are. If we go around and we spread misinformation, like back in the day, and I always like to go back to this example, they would shoot killer whales off of Washington. There are still cannons from when they would shoot the killer whales because they were a nuisance because they ate the salmon. How many bigs do you think they killed? I don't know, but they definitely killed some bigs. There's no way they didn't kill some bigs because they didn't know back then. And that's why science is important because if you don't, have all the correct information, you're going to make bad choices that could potentially harm the animals. And the reason I feel so passionately about the whole Southern resident issue is because it is such a small population that we can't afford to make any mistakes. And those of us who are quote unquote whale people should do everything in our power to make sure that those whales are okay. I remembered what I was gonna say. Yeah, mic drop. I, I remembered what I was gonna say, Um, just kind of on this uh, thread that we're going on. If you have like a motivation or a narrative you're trying to push or like some sort of like subjective reason behind why you're doing research, that is another red flag. That is like totally not okay. That is totally not going to be scientifically valid because science in and of itself is objective. So you can't, you can have an, a hypothesis, but you can't be like, and, and this is why I get like hesitant about like, the whale watchers who are doing research and I'm putting up air quotes around research because they have 
to me, and I'm not a, I'm not a whale watcher. I don't work on a whale watch boat, but to me, if you're going to be like running a whale watch company, then you have some sort of ulterior motive there because you want to spend as much time with the whales you are wanting. To, and th- and this is just, you know, this is my opinion, but like, if you have that motive and then you're going to go out and do air quotes again, research, it's, it's, it's not, you can't, you can't call it that because if you're going out there and you're trying to collect this data, you're cherry picking data or whatever, if you have a motive, a subjective motive that you're trying to push and collect data to support that is like totally, totally not okay because science is objective. So you have to like create a hypothesis and there's different types of hypothesis creating and like different variables. You have to have a control, like all sorts of things that go into the scientific method that are important for having unbiased research. And so like, you know, you could have a hypothesis of whatever, but if you're like trying to get the answer to a question that you've asked, like you already have in your head, you, what you want the answer to be, then that's just, that's not a scientist in my opinion, because you're like going out there trying to like push a narrative that, you know, probably isn't true. And I, I don't know, that's again, with the healthy skepticism, you just have yeah. to be skeptical and ask lots of questions. And like, I, I don't know, I can't say it enough, but if you're going out there with an idea in your mind of what you want to find, you can't, that's not how you do it. Like yeah. even with my squid tagging study, it was like, I, I really wanted like in my head, like in a perfect world, I wanted to be able to <laughs> estimate metabolic rate from a certain variable but I couldn't go in and like only choose the squids that like fit my model. You know, I had to include all of the squids. My model looked pretty good, but whether I found out if it was true or not, I'm still making a discovery and I'm not pushing some false narrative. If it wasn't true, that's still valid information and important information, helpful, useful, whatever. Um, But I, I, I just like, I'm, I'm skeptical of people who are working on whale watch boats and then, calling themselves researchers and I don't know who's doing that whatever but like yeah you know what I mean but like I don't know there's just if you have these other motives it it just that's no I agree and that's where my skepticism with the whole sentinel effect study came into play because it was very obvious to me that there was this narrative that was going on that has been pushed by individuals and groups of individuals for a long time and then all of a sudden the study gets published there's no other co-authors and it's like how is this science? Like, you know, and also too, like you did bring up too of like, oh, I'm not going to pick the squid that worked for me. So Liam recently went to a chat. Yeah, I was uh, in this uh, meeting recently that was uh, really frustrating. And unfortunately, it highlights a lot of the stuff that we are, that we're talking about, about the importance of conveying of conveying science in like a truthful way and it highlights the issue of of presenting anecdotal um of evidence now i won't go into a bunch of detail about the meeting but basically it was about just boats operating in the salish sea Uh, i'll say that much uh but it was a meeting that really frustrated me and as as you erica and as you maddie could attest you as after I told you guys about it, frustrated both of us, all of us, a lot, uh, <laughs> because there was it was so it was so crazy to hear because during the presentation, uh, the person, the speaker was uh, presenting a bunch of information that uh, was 
was all backed by, uh, as she claimed, it was backed by peer-reviewed studies, and to an extent it was. Uh, just about all the uh, info that she shared was uh, was from studies that were peer-reviewed. But, but here's the thing. The way that she presented made the peer-reviewed studies look like their conclusions were something different than they actually are. Sorry, that's uh, that's my dog talking. And it was I, I was going through the meeting because I took pictures of all the slides, and I'm going through all of the articles that uh, that the speaker cited, and I'm like, this is not nearly what she was. This is almost, you know, this basically is like not proving her point at all. It barely is. And this issue of anecdotal science is so frustrating. It it reminds me a lot of the kind of thing that, you know, freaking Bonneville Power Administration and the Inland Empire Water Rights Association or whoever would constantly be putting out these, like, terrible propaganda pieces that were all relying on anecdotal evidence to try and drum up support for, for keeping the dams uh, in place. But then it's like, you know, you... And But then when you take the time to read their sources, you realize, oh, this doesn't prove their point at all. And it's really frustrating, especially because most people do not have access to a lot of the source uh, – you know, a lot of scientific studies because for one, often they're behind a paywall and they're super expensive to get behind. And so people are more willing to accept something as face value. So if you make a, if you make a claim um, – and then you provide evidence. People, it's so easy for someone to look at that and say, "Oh, you know, it, it's you know, as you can clear, it's it's backed." So it, you know, it must it must be true. And no, false. It has nothing. It's not at all like that. And it's so important for us to you know, as scientists or as people advocating for you know, truthful science uh, for truthful science. It's so important for us to advocate advocate for uh for science to be you know transparent and you know simple so that someone can read it but you know not be so you know someone can read it but it's also you know truth that it's also truthful and it's a huge deal because this is the kind of shit we get this is the kind of stuff this heavy amounts of of misinformation and it's just so freaking <laughs> it's so freaking frustrating seeing all of this. And so we, you know, people have to, you know, since most people don't have, you know, a lot of time on their hands, it's so important for us, regardless of what we're advocating for, when we're providing evidence that not only is it consumable, but the consumable part of it is faithful to what is if to is to, uh, it's faithful uh, to the evidence that it cited and you know the fact that there's been so much anecdotal it's caused so i guarantee you most of the, any fights that you'll see from a scientific community or from the public and from science it a good chunk of it is from people who have been is from presenters who have been anecdotal with the evidence cuz then it just makes you know, and it makes scientists look bad. It makes the presenters look bad. Uh, you know, it causes so much infighting, and this is something that ha- that has happened for years in the in the 
in the whale com- in the whale community and it's just crazy how toxic it is. So, yeah, that's that's basically the meaning that I saw and why it's so important for us for us presenting science to be to not have it be anecdotal but be consumable enough for someone to to for the average person to get it but still be <laughs> still be truthful and, you know, yeah. Because otherwise, there's just propaganda, and I hate propaganda, and I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it appear with the dams, and it just, I get so frustrated about it, and, but, yeah, I'm, you know, it's one thing I'm passionate for is, is, you know, is that truthfulness, so that there's not any freaking gaslighting as well, because a lot of that, a lot of the fighting can also, like, spawn a bunch of gaslighting, and, yeah, you know, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Thank you, Liam, for those thoughts on anecdotal science. And now Erica is going to jump right back in with some with a summary of some red flags to look out for. If, if somebody's highly emotional, like obviously we are going to con- we're going to have some sort of emotion about the work that we do. That's natural. That's normal. But it's like when you're driving your study with emotion and you're driving your study with like conclusions that you've made with zero evidence to back this. And if like, it's not real science, if you've already decided that that's what it is. So it's like high, if you've already decided self-funded, if you're way too emotional about it, like obviously there's some level of it, but if there's a lack of objectivity and if somebody's going to quickly just get defensive, like when you're like, Hey, let me inquire more about this. If somebody's going to try to lure an animal, no, um, just not going to work. So I would say that those are some red flags to be careful of. Like, is it published? Is it peer reviewed? Like there's a lot of things to look at and it's, it's highly nuanced. It's complex, but these are important conversations to have. Well, yeah, to jump in there. And then I do want to give like, if Liam wants to yeah, add, sorry, Liam, we just like hijack this. <laughs> But um, I just wanted to throw in there about on the um, subject of, of having human emotions, like that's something I've been really working on in this past year myself, because I like am, on, like I said, on one side of the spectrum of like, I am very objective just in my daily life. I'm very literal. I have like whatever the left brain, like dominant, I, I don't know. But anyway, um, like it is normal and it is okay to feel emotion about animals, especially like whales, whales kind of incite this or whatever the word is like they draw this awe out of us as humans they draw like they are when I saw a killer whale I cried the first time another time I was throwing up but that's a different story but um uh basically like I just wanted to say on my based on my experience like when I was doing studies on anchovies and squid I had to euthanize the animals my specimens to measure their body weights lengths and get some metrics for my study that was not something I was super comfortable with I didn't like doing it I cried a few times in the wet lab I and I I did it all humanely you know we uh, followed these protocols but that was something that was required of my scientific research was to euthanize animals for my study and 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 people like people who aren't signed like or who haven't done research like that would like PETA for example you know people in in, would not be okay with knowing that you know like knowing that oh I euthanized this amount of anchovies to get this data but that was a part of it that's that was a really objective step that I had to take I'm not saying that I didn't feel emotional about it and it's okay to have these emotions but like at the heart of it, at the root, my study 
like for it to be real science was had to be objective and I had to euthanize the animal to get the data that I needed. Obviously, like there's so many different fields and that's just the experiments experience that I have um, working kind of in a experimental field, but, um, and field biology is different, but I just wanted to throw that out there that I think like, it is like totally normal to feel emotional and feel connected to your, like not your animals, but like your study species or whatever. Like I, I love anchovies. If anyone, I'm like, just like obsessed with anchovies. It's like part of my personality because I studied them and I spent a lot of time working with them, but I had to euthanize some and that sucked. I'm a vegetarian. Like I don't eat like that. That was just hard for me. So anyway, just wanted to throw out there, like, it's totally normal to have human emotions, but science has to be objective. It has to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, that's the thing is it just call it like what it is. Like, don't, you know, if you're not, if it's not science, don't call it science. Like say it's like just an investigation, you know, like be like, oh, I'm just curious. Like, you know, but don't call it science. And like, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like, when you say that something's scientific and it's not, it devalues science, it makes science as a whole look bad and it makes more people distrust it. And it's like big picture get past whatever it is that makes you feel like you need to put these fake things out there and, and do something that's truthful. On that note of truthful science, Liam had some more thoughts he wanted to share about the presentation meeting that he attended. It was um, in recently, it was, I saw it on Instagram and I wanted to, you know, to take part in it. Cause you know, it's important for me, you know, to get as much, information about you know learning about the whales as much as i can especially since i'm not you know heavily into marine biology uh quite yet so any of that information is helpful but a lot of a lot of what i saw in this presentation let's just say that a lot of what i saw in this presentation was anecdotal information that was taken from peer uh that was taken from peer-reviewed science and that's what i what i believe a lot is one of the issues that exists within the community is when a lot of that, um, when a lot of the, when stuff is peer reviewed, but someone will like be anecdotal with the evidence that they present to, uh, to have some, you know, to, you know, fill a certain kind of agenda. And it's, it's so important that like, you're being completely transparent with those peer re- with art, with those, with those articles, especially if they're peer reviewed, because otherwise then, you know, even something, you know, someone could say something that's like completely untrue or maybe factually true, but, um, but not like statistic, like not correct in a, in a certain way, like, or, or maybe statistically correct, but not truthful in a certain sense. And, and it's important. And it's something that gets me very frustrated is when people will often because that's what I was exposed uh, to a lot with um, since I'm trying to uh, since I'm in that field with getting the dams down. I've been exposed to you know lobbyists and certain people using anecdotal ev- evidence, and it just gets me really annoyed, especially when they when uh, it, it's when stuff is peer reviewed, but then you anecdotal it. All of a sudden, you know, it can just spread so much misinformation, and it's like super frustrating because. It's like, oh, uh, oh, oh, well, you know, it, this is clear. It's this is clearly, uh, you know, look at this information like that. You know, this is the information that I got this from was peer reviewed. And so that means I'm correct. It means like, no, you're not correct. 
it doesn't mean that you're correct because you aren't being transparent. And um, and then so I asked, oh, well, what's the, uh, you know, what's the issue with the, uh, why should I have to show the uh, whole thing instead of just being, instead of just presenting certain, uh, you know, statistics of what it was. It's because this is the kind of shit we get. A lot of people, a lot of uh, information that is anecdotal, anecdotal, that isn't truthful, that is being taken from peer-reviewed sources, which makes the people who wrote the article look bad, and then that misinformation caused fights with between scientists, and it's just all this misinformation, and it can get out of control so easily, and it's it's so dangerous when something that is peer-reviewed is yet being anecdotally presented in a way that's untruthful and can cause real harm as we see with the whales, as we see with the salmon, as we see with whatever, it doesn't matter what the field is. It's all of these, any and all uh, scientific uh, studies is like, they're like that. So, you know, that was a bit of a, I know that that's really strong, but that's something that is a huge issue within the whale community and just the, the scientific community in general and the gatekeeping of information without you know special favors doing done yeah and to wrap things up liam gives us his concluding thoughts uh yeah as for my conclusion uh yeah you know believe in science but also don't take presenters of science at face value you know make sure to do as much research as you can if you have the time and uh hopefully society will start making uh science papers more bite-sized and but still being truthful to you because you always you know it's important to have that critical thinking skill so that you know you make sure that nothing being presented is uh anecdotal because anecdotal science is bad and it makes the people who actually did the work of uh of doing the science look uh look bad as well <laughs> so that's that thank you guys for listening i feel like we shared a lot today um and again hopefully like our goal here is not to like ruffle feathers or like upset people or anything like that it's just that we need to have conversations around truth what that means and how, you know, science is going to impact our decision-making. And that's why this is important. Um, and so, you know, hopefully this will get some other people to think about science. If you guys have thoughts, if you guys have healthy skepticism and criticism of the things that we say, we welcome it. Honestly, let's have a conversation about it. Um, and yeah, so thanks for joining us and everybody have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.